מסכת בבא קמא, דף סמך, השולח את הבעירה ביד חרש שוטה וקטן, פטור בדיני אדם וחייב בדיני שמיים. שלח ביד פיקח, הפיקח חייב. We saw this source already, that if someone sends a fire in the hands of someone who is deaf or uh, not mentally competent or a minor, the sender is not liable in the hands of a human court, but is liable in the heavenly court. And not, he's not liable in the, in, the, in the human court because he did not burn something directly, um, but he did so, do something morally wrong uh, in entrusting a dangerous item like a fire in the hands of someone who is not competent to take care of it, so he should not have done that. However, if he sends it, and, and, and in those three cases, um, nobody would be liable because you can't hold a, a minor liable. However, if uh, someone sends it in the hands of someone who is an adult, um, intelligent person, then that, that person is liable. Just because someone sent him, so the sender is not is not uh, responsible, but the one who is actually holding the fire and uh, mishandles it, burns something down, is liable. Now if you have a partnership, one person brings some fire there. He has a little lamp with fire, and the other one brings a bunch of wood. So the second one who brought the wood is liable because he's the one that uh, brought this the uh, material, the fuel that would spread the fire. But it was the other way around. One person brought wood. He's not responsible. He just uh, brought a, a pile of wood. But the second one then came and brought fire and caused it to burn. So the second one. The point is, it doesn't matter who brings the fuel and who brings the fire. The second person um, is the immediate cause and therefore is the one that's fully liable. If a, a third person comes, one person brought fire, one person brought wood, whatever order, and a third person comes and fans the flame, he blows on it or brings a, a fan or a bellows. They had bellows from 3,000 years ago. We have pictures of them on uh, cave walls uh, in Egypt um, and next to in, uh, in, in, in um, mummy caves. Um, anyway, um, so a third person came and fanned the flame. The one who fans the flame, he's the immediate cause for the fire getting bigger and spreading. And therefore, only the third person is liable. However, um, if a th a, uh, uh, the wind came and fanned the flame, then all of them are exempt because um, it's the, the, fi the, the wind is the immediate cause. In other words, it was out of their hands. It's true, one person brought, brought wood, one person brought, brought fire, um, but in the end, it was the wind that caused it to uh, spread and cause damage, which is not any of their immediate faults. All right, Amadesh Lakish Mishmed Hiskia, Loshenu Elashimasa Logahelit Viliba, or Masol Shelhebet, Haya, my Tama Masa, Kagadmu Law. Back to the giving it to a minor. Rash Lakish says the name of Hiskia. When do we say that the one who gives it to the minor is exempt? Only if he gives him a glowing coal. The glowing coal is relatively safe um, because you just, you know, just uh, leave it and it'll and eventually go out. Um, and so uh, the miner had to go and bring this coal, touch it to something that flammable, blow on it. So that's a lot, very indirect. It requires more steps. Um, so it's relatively safe to give it to a miner. However, if you give him a, um, a, a whole flame, 
a torch, um, that torch is very dangerous. And then it's more likely that the, uh, the miner is going to take this torch, walk around with it, and it's going to catch something fire, uh, uh, catch something on fire. And therefore, the one who gives them a torch is liable. What's the reason? Because his action directly caused it, giving it to giving a big flame, a torch to a miner is more direct. No, even a flame, um, if you give that to a miner, you'd not be um, uh, liable. Because it's the tongues of the deaf person or the miner is what caused the fire to break out. In other words, he's holding it, you know, let's say he's holding this torch with tongues. If you just leave it in, in one place, it wouldn't go and cause other things to go on fire. But rather, it's the tongues that he's holding and walking around with. So that caused it. So therefore, the adult who gave it to the minor is not liable because still it's indirect. And it's the minor that, that caused it by walking around. However, Ibn Khanan would agree that if the adult gave to the minor um, a whole bunch of branches, uh, some branches of thin wood that are easily, easily flammable, and shadaga and a candle, um, then the uh, sender is liable because um, his actions, giving him all the ingredients to cause a, a, a fire that will spread. Um, so he's liable. In the previous cases, he only gave him either the coal or a torch, but that's just a fire. Then the miner would have to go and find something flammable fuel to spread the fire. But here, the adult is giving him both a little lamp and a whole bunch of flammable material. So then it's basically inevitable that the miner is going to say, like, oh, I wonder what happens if I, uh, if I uh, put this fire here next to these branches. And so the sender is directly responsible and liable. So now we go on to the uh, rest of it. And um, we're actually going to discuss this word, ve'liba. Someone else comes and fans the flame. Amar Rab Nachman Ba'ishakman, de'tane liba la mishtabesh, amar de'tane niba la mishtabesh. There's two versions of this Mishnah. Some say liba with alamed, meaning to fan, and some say niba, also meaning to blow the flame. And both of them are not mistaken. They're both valid words. And they mean similar things. If you say liba, you're not wrong because uh, the pasuk says be labat esh, referring to the burning bush. Um, the uh, God's presence appears to Moshe be labat esh. So you see liba means means a fire, a flame. And so if you say niba, that's also okay because Pasuk in Yeshaya says, Bore nib time, the fruit of the lips. What's a fruit of the lips? What do lips create? They create breath they create breath. And so by uh, that would be referring to blowing on it, um, which is also uh, fanning and creating uh, or growing the fire. Okay, good. Now let's analyze this. Uh, one person brings some fire, one person brings uh, um <clears throat> some uh, fuel, um, uh, and um, and one person might be even blowing on it a little, but then the wind comes and pushes it and causes it to uh, spread and burn something down. 
all those three people are not liable. So now the Baraita expands on this and says, if a person blows on, uh, fans the flame, but and and also wind comes and fans and fans the flame even more. So is he liable or not? It depends. We uh, uh, we assess. If he, if we, let's say there was no wind and only the person himself fanning it, would that be enough to make it go and cause damage? If yes, then the person is liable. But if not, he was just fanning it only a, a little bit, um, and it's the and it would not have caused damage without the wind. Then he is not liable. Okay, so if we have to see if his act was independently uh, would have uh, resulted in the injury, and if not, he's okay. And now we have a very interesting question because we're going to compare this case of damages to Hilchot Shabbat. Why should the person not be liable when he only he only blows it a little bit, not enough to cause damage? Um, yet here, if someone is winnowing, winnowing, you take um, some grain and after threshing it, uh, so that uh, when you thresh it, that's you 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 step on it, so that the chaff um, will uh, the outside of the grain will be loose, will loosen up around the kernel of the grain. But they're still right, they're still um, attached to each other, but they're just loose, they're just barely attached. That's um, that's threshing. The next step is winnowing. When you take the farmer will take um, a, a, a a shovel. Or a rake, a pitchfork, and take some of that grain and throw it up in the air. Throwing it up in the air doesn't do much, but what it does do is hopefully the wind will come and the wind will blow away the chaff that's very light and the grain, which is heavier, will fall down. So that's a way of separating the chaff that you don't want from the grain. Now, if someone does that on Shabbat, they are liable, even though it wouldn't work without the wind. If you just throw it up in the air and down, uh, I mean, maybe just by falling, it'll separate a little bit, but it hardly won't do, hardly will do anything. And it's only because of the wind. So why is one liable on Shabbat for winnowing if his action by himself, by itself, would not accomplish the task? And it's only because of the wind that accomplishes a task, and yet he is liable. So why don't we say the same thing here, that even though he, him, uh, blowing the fire a bit is not going to accomplish anything because it wouldn't have spread so far, but that in conjunction with the wind, um, the wind now does cause it to cause damage, so he should be liable there. What's the difference between the laws of damages and the laws of Shabbat? Uh, we're going to see three answers. Amar Abaye is saying, you're right, in fact, the laws of Shabbat is a good model. And in fact, if someone was blowing on uh, the, the fire in, in the one direction and the wind also came in the same direction, he in fact would be liable. Here, where the Mishnah says not liable, it's talking about a case where they're blowing from different directions. The person is fanning it uh, from the north, but the wind comes from the south. And, um, and so, in fact, his blowing it, if anything, was, would, would have just stopped, been stopping it a little bit. Uh, from uh, reaching its destination. So here it's clear that the wind and the wind only 
even against the person's breath is what caused the damage. But otherwise, if it was the same way, you're right. It would be uh, the the would be liable like in Shabbat. Rava Amar Kigon Sheliba Beruach Mesuya Velibatu Haruach Beruach Sheena Mesuya. Rava says that um, it's for example that um, when I'm blowing it, I'm blowing it, and there's a regular typical wind, and even with my fanning it and the typical wind, it would not have reached a dangerous a dangerous place and caused damage. But all of a sudden, a crazy tornado wind came, uh, which I could not have expected, and therefore I'm not liable because this. This is something that's honest, something that there's no way I could have anticipated. Um, but otherwise, you're right. If, in fact, my breath together with the wind would have caused the damage, I would be liable, like in Shabbat. The case where I really was fanning it with a fan or with a bellows or with a strong breath. There, if that combined with the wind caused damage, I would be liable. But here, when we say... Um, that he was fanning it. It's just that he is, uh, he's just breathing on it, right? Just some hot breath, um, not not in a strong blow. So therefore, it really does not, was not uh, adding anything to it. But in fact, if it was adding a lot, then he would. Okay, these are three three answers to say that, you know what? So, uh, the laws of Shabbat are a good model and are comparable to our case, and therefore they have to readjust our Mishnah to say our Mishnah is only talking about where he was blowing in the opposite direction, a big, a crazy, unusual wind came, or he was only breathing softly on it, um, but not actually blowing on it. But these are all difficult because you have to make an ukimta on the Mishnah that it only uh, applies in a very limited case. But now we have a fourth answer. There's a fundamental difference between laws of damages and the laws of Shabbat. When we say that um, when one winnows, right, you throw it up, throw up the grain in the air, and the wind helps, that is liable because we're talking about Shabbat. On Shabbat, what's their criteria to be liable? You need melechet marshevet, a planned, a planned behavior. I mean, some, you want to try to accomplish something. And here, the item that you're trying to accomplish is accomplished. You know that by throwing it up, then the wind will come, and then that will uh, cause it to be separated. So for the laws of Shabbat, um, uh, what, as long as what you accomplish is planned, whether or not you did all the steps or you just did part of the step and, um, and, and, and uh, natural force like the wind comes and does the rest, you are liable. This is very interesting because Melechet Marshevet usually acts as a kula. Um, if I do something, um, but I didn't plan to do it, I, I do an act that is a melacha. Uh, but I, I, uh, I wasn't planning to uh, accomplish that thing. I was planning to accomplish the, the usual thing that that melacha is. I was uh, doing the same act, but I was my intent was different. My intent was not to accomplish the usual act. My intent was for something else. So then one is patur. That's why that's how melachat marshevet usually is applied. Here it's being applied lechumra that even though I didn't do the whole thing, nevertheless because my plan was accomplished, 
I am liable. Another example that's similar to this one is putting cooking on Shabbat in the oven. Um, as there's no prohibition in particular to put something in the oven. If I put it in the oven for two seconds, it's not going to cook. So I put it in the oven, take it out. I didn't violate a deoraita in the, if I do that. But uh, if I put it in and then leave it in for, in for a half hour till it cooks, then I am liable, even though all I did was put it in. And it's the oven by itself that the heat of the oven that's cooking it over time. That's another example of where even though I didn't do all of the act, still the my intention is accomplished and therefore I am liable. That's for Chot Shabbat. As long as one intention, one's intention, one's plan is accomplished, one is liable. But when it comes to nizakin, in order to be liable, it has to be something that I do directly. I'm directly responsible for. But here, I am only indirect indirect cause. Um, and because uh, I all I did was uh, blow on it a little bit, <clears throat> but the wind came. My blowing by itself would not have done anything, and it's the wind that accomplished the uh, the um, uh, damage. And therefore, if uh, if I didn't do it directly, and it's only indirect for nizakin patur for Shabbat, even if it's indirect, even if it's another cause, but it was part of my plan then I am liable. Very, very important distinction there. Next, Mishnah. Someone who sends a fire, meaning, uh, you know, on purpose, or he allows it to escape, he doesn't stop it, he's not careful, and it goes and consumes wood or stones or earth is liable. In other words, these are things that don't really burn, well, I mean, uh, wood burns, but stones and earth don't actually burn, but they can get ruined, right? A field that has a fire on it, even the soil itself can get burned. Even uh, rocks can get ruined and get weak if you burn a uh, brick wall, um, even though bricks don't, are not flammable, but still it will weaken the wall. Uh, how do we know that? Because the Pasuk says if a fire breaks out and it, fi- and it finds and lists four items, thorns, a stack of grain, meaning grain that's, that's uh, removed from the ground and piled up, or come out with standing grain that's still attached to the ground, or the or, or the field itself. The Gemara is going to explain that field itself means without anything on it, just the soil. So the person has to pay uh, for causing that fire. Good. Gadish says, why, why does the Torah have to give all four examples? Why well, can't just give one example and I can figure out the rest of them? If it only said thorns, I might think I'm liable for burning thorns because um, that's something that um, fire is often around thorns. Because thorns are so cheap and they're all over the place, so people aren't really careful um, with fire around thorns. Like, so what? So it'll burn. Um, And uh, since... This is uh, very likely that a person will be negligent with his fire around thorns. So I would say in that case, one is liable. But when it comes to uh, a pile of grain where people are going to be careful, you're not going to bring a fire into your silo with all the grain there. Um, Since that is not likely that someone will be negligent, maybe I would have thought that I don't have to pay in that case. So that's why it tells me the grain. Yes, I do have to pay. The other way around, you're 
around, if it only said regarding a pile of grain that I have to pay, that's because that's oh, that's very expensive. And if I burn it down, you're losing you're losing all your merchandise, everything, your whole all your food for the next season. Uh, but uh, thorns, which who cares about thorns anyway? It's a very small loss. I would say maybe I'm not liable, and therefore has to teach this. Um, as well. So that's why I need the first two items on the list. Now, Kama, standing grain, Lamali, Ma Kama Bagaloi, Afkol Bagaloi. Just like standing grain um, is exposed, you go, you see, look at the field, you see all the grain standing there. So, too, fire is one is only liable for that which is exposed. If I burn something and there's uh, um, only liable for the things on top, if there's some, something hidden underneath, I'm not liable for that. Uh, that's according to the majority opinion. Yehuda disagrees, and he says one is liable if the fire catches uh, catches fire on something that is hidden. One is also liable. So Kama is not talking about that. So what is Kama referring to? Lerabot Koma is coming to include anything that has stature. Um, meaning anything that has some height, which would be trees, animals, actually anything, because pretty much everything in the world has some height, even something that's very short. Um, so the the examples in the Torah are only you know, things in the in, in the field, um, but what about uh, you know what about animals? Uh, what about other things? Um, uh, you know, someone's uh, wagon, someone's uh, vessels, right? Uh, so really, everything is included. I need kama to say anything that has that stands anything that has any height at all and where do they include all things that have some height the word oh is an extra word and that comes to include um both the from kama it can learn that which is revealed and or anything that has some height where are you going, what are you going to do with that awe? No, he needs the awe to separate between the different things. Should, don't think that I'm, oh, you're only liable if you burn all the things on the list. No, any one of the things on the list, if you burn, you're liable. Rabbanan, how do you know that you're liable to any one of the things? Because there's another awe, awe hasadeh. So if that awe tells me that any one of them is liable, then the other awe before hakama, the hasadeh is after, is the last one in the list, the hakama before that teaches me anything that has stature. Rabbi Yudah says, I'm not going to learn anything else from the extra before Hasadeh, because since I already said so it's just going to keep for consistency the same style and Hasadeh. But you can't learn anything from that and that's why he needs the previous Now, Lamali. Why do I need to give you an example of a field? That comes to include if um, you uh, burn my plowed field or charred my stones uh, even though a field by itself is not flammable nor are stones flammable but they still can be ruined and weakened from fire it'll be hard to plant anything after and that wall will be shaky so now I say, well, Sadeh seems like the biggest chidush. So why not just say field? And then I would know if even rocks, you're liable if you burn them, then all the more so anything else. And I need that because if you had only the word Sadeh, I would say only that which is in the field, all the grain and the stuff that's in the field, but I wouldn't know anything else. I wouldn't know the field itself or rocks, and I might not. Know other things like the kama, the things that are standing, and so I need all the other things in the list so that then I know that sadeh refers to uh, the field.
field, um, the field itself, and the stones. We now turn to some matters of Agada. Amar Rabbi Shemuel ben Nachmani, Amar Rabbi Yonatan, and put Anut ba'ala olam ela bizman shereshaim ba'olam, ve'namat chelat ela min asadikim techila. Shneemar ki tese esh masa kosim ematay esh yosa bizman shekosim mesuyin la. Ve'namat chelat ela min asadikim techila. Shneemar ve'nechal gadish ve'achal gadish lo nemar ela ve'nechal gadish shenechal gadish kev. All right, a very um, uh, sad uh, um, agada uh, that says, um, uh, name of Rabbi Yonatan, that suffering comes to the world only because of the wicked people that are in it. However, the the suffering, the uh, destruction starts with the righteous, even though it's not their fault, even though it's the fault of the righteous for bringing such uh, uh, punishment. Nevertheless, it's the righteous that actually get punished first. Um, how do you know that? This is why we're bringing it here from this very pasuk, which is clearly a legal pasuk, but Yonatan um, is taking it in an, um, as an agada. When fire, fire meaning all calamity, death, uh, destruction, punishment, uh, comes, umatzeah, kotsim, when does calamity come? When there are thorns. Thorns refers to the uh, to wicked people. Matzeah means mitsuyin. Are, are abundant. When there are a lot of wicked people, then fire comes down to the nation. And when who does it start with? It starts by uh, causing uh, uh, destruction, damage to the righteous people, as it says in the next words of the Pasuk, and Gadish, meaning uh, uh, grain, uh, that, that which is valuable, that refers to Sadiqim, is or was eaten. It doesn't say, and then it will uh, kill the, the righteous, but rather, and it already killed the righteous, that the righteous are already gone when the fire gets to the thorns. Uh, so it may, may seem unfair that the wicked do wrong and the righteous are the ones that suffer the consequences first, but the, that's the way it is. The righteous are responsible for the generation. They have to go and teach and um, rebuke and inspire the others. So they are the leaders and they are therefore responsible. Taner Av Yosef. Along the same lines, Rav Yosef teaches. And a Braita, Rav Yosef teaches a Braita. Um, what, what does uh, what does the pasuk mean in Shemot 12, uh, referring to Yitzhak Misraim, uh, where Hashem uh, says, and no one should leave their the opening of their homes until morning. Stay inside during Makat Bechorot. It's going to be a terrible plague overnight. Um, what does this mean? Why should everybody stay inside? Because once permission is given to the destroyer. To destroy, it makes no distinction between the righteous and the wicked. So even though the Egyptians are the wicked and B'nai Sol are righteous, nevertheless, punishment is in town. You better stay inside uh, because otherwise, once the the, the mashrit is here, it's going to kill anything in its path. And not only does it not distinguish, actually it does distinguish and will kill the righteous first. As the different pasuk in Yechazkel says, I will cut off from you righteous and wicked. Righteous are mentioned first. Yosef would cry about this and says, all the righteous people are like nothing. 
You could have a whole group of righteous people, and then in one second, a plague comes, and they can all die. What? That's very tragic. Abaye consoles him and says, actually, it's a favor, it's a good thing for the righteous. As the Pasuk says in Yeshaya, because of the evil, the righteous is taken away so that he will not have to endure the suffering. So it's actually a kindness to the righteous to die first so that he doesn't have to see the terrible calamity that comes after. Back on the Pasuk we had before from Shemot 12, we learned that person should always go into a city at a time of good, kitov, meaning when it's light, right? Kitov, light is called good, and you should also leave the city if you're going to leave on a journey, leave in the daytime. Don't travel at night. Nighttime is dangerous. Rather, um, enter and leave, uh, uh, leave and enter when it's daytime. And how do you know that? Because it says, do not leave your homes until morning. In the morning, then it's safe. At night, it's dangerous. Tenora banan. Another uh, teaching based on the same pasuk. When there's a plague in the city, then bring your feet in. In other words, do not travel. Don't leave your house. Don't go into the street. Stay at home. We call this uh, COVID quarantining. As it says, do not leave, do not leave your, your house until the morning, until it's better. A second pasuk in Yeshaya that says, come enter your chamber, shut the door behind, hide yourselves for a while, until the anger passes. Ve'omer, a third pasuk from Devarim in the curses. Mechus teshakil chayrebo mechadarim ema. Outside, the sword is killing people, and inside, um, there is terror, right? Even the people inside are still afraid, hearing all the uh, screams and uh, suffering that is outside, and wondering if it may come in. May ve'omer, ve'chitem ahanemi le'bilalia, avabi mamala, Unfortunately, these Pesukim have too many resonances to October 7th. Um, so now we ask, why do we need three Pesukim? Uh, what's Ve'omed and you need another Pasuk? Well, how come it's not enough to still learn from the first Pasuk? When it's dangerous outside, stay inside. So if you say that, uh, the, when do you have to be afraid? Only at night, because in the first Pasuk it says, stay inside at night, but in the morning you can come out, there's no problem in the morning. That's why the second Pasuk says, Go in your room and close close the door all the time, day and night, until the anger has passed. And if you say, when should you stay inside? Only when there's no fear inside. When the danger is only outside, um, uh, then, then then stay inside. But if there is danger inside also, right? let's say there's some kind of uh, dangerous things happening in, in, in the house as well, well, then you may as well go outside so you could be with, with, uh, with people 
to be in the company of others, right? Uh, suffering loves company, and so better to be outside. No, don't think that. Tashema mechus t'shakel cher machadrim imaf agavdim machadrim ima mechus t'shakel cherev. This pasuk says that the sword is bereaving people outside, and there is terror inside. So even though there's terror inside, and maybe inside is not so safe, and there's dangerous even staying inside. Nevertheless, the danger outside is much worse. Outside. There's, uh, there's the sword outside, there's, there's gunshots and all that. Inside is still dangerous, but still safer than outside. When there was a plague, Rava would close the windows of his house. This is a good idea. And, and any airborne viruses, uh, if you close the windows, uh, it won't come in because death, de- death has come up to the windows, so says Yirmiyah. If there's a famine in the city, then Get your get your feet up as opposed to before when there's a plague. Then stay stay inside, stay in stay stay in one place, which is uh, which is good advice. But if there's a famine, don't just sit around and do nothing. Get out of there and go to a place where there's food. You learn that from Abraham when there was a famine in the land, so he left and went to Mitzrayim to stay there. Ve'omer, and there's another pasuk from Sefer Melachim. This is a story about the four Mitzrayim that were outside of the Israelite city because they had uh, Sara'at, and there was a famine in the city. And they said, what should we do? Uh, should we go back in the city? There's a city, there's a famine in there, so we'll die. Uh, should we stay out here? will die. So let's go to the to the encampment of the Arameans and we'll see. Maybe they'll save us and we'll live. And they have from they have food over there. And if they kill us, we'll die. But oh, we're gonna die anyway. And so you see the same thing here, because there was a famine in the city, better to go and give yourself up into the enemy camp rather than stay in a place where for sure there is a famine. Now my Vilmed, why do I need the second Pasuk? Because I might think, when should you leave the famine and go to another place? Only where the other place you're going to go to, um, there's no, uh, there's no problem that you might be killed there. Um, uh, Avraham goes to Mitzrayim. Actually, Avraham was afraid that they are going to kill him and take his wife. But he had a plan. He, he passed her off as his, uh, as his sister. And so that's how he would save not being killed. They don't, there's not, they're not usually killing people randomly. Uh, in Egypt. So that, there's no danger to life there. But if there is danger of life, maybe stay in the place of famine and don't go to a place that's dangerous where they might kill you. You might have thought that. That's why in the second Pasuk, you know what? Better to go into an enemy camp and maybe they'll at least uh, take you hostage and give you food rather than stay in a place that has no food at all. Um, and that's what we learned from uh, that source. I wonder if this is maybe a uh, subtle reference to uh, the story of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai during the siege of the Romans around Yerushalayim uh, in uh, 70 CE, uh, where the people inside, the zealots, burned down all the storehouses of food, and the people inside had a terrible, terrible famine. They were dying from the famine. Uh, remember the story of Marta Baitos, who um, who died of famine, and Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said. 
better to get out of here and uh, plead with the Romans. Uh, at least maybe they will have mercy rather than stay inside and he sneaks out. If there is a plague in the city, do not walk in the middle of the street because the angel of death, death walks in the middle of the street. As we said before, once it's given permission, it goes out in the open and kills everybody. It doesn't have to hide, so it goes in the middle of the street because it's in charge. But if it's peace in the city, then opposite. You should walk in the middle of the street. Don't go on the sides of the road because since the angel of death does not have permission during time of peace, so it hides on the sides of the road and the sides of the road are more dangerous. This is good advice, right? During COVID, we all learned stay away from crowds. Don't walk in the middle of a big street where there's lots of people. Uh, go, to, go in a private area so that you won't have to be around a lot of people. That's good advice during a time of a plague. When it's not the uh, time of a plague, probably the middle of the street is better because on the sides of the street, all kinds of uh, uh, hooligans or dangerous things or garbage or disgusting things are, are on the side of the road. And so the middle of the road would be better. If there is plague in the city, one should not go by himself into the synagogue. Synagogues back then were often out outside of the city and um, and if it were not used it would be a desolate and dangerous area so because the angel of the death keeps his stuff there so that's a dangerous place however that's only if there's no children learning in the synagogue and there's not 10 men praying in the synagogue but if it's being used then it's not a dangerous place if you hear dogs crying that means it's dangerous the angel of death is around but if the dogs are playing that's a good sign that means Eliyahu Navi is coming to the city but that's only if there's no female dog if there's a female dog then they're they're uh, playing because of her presence um, so then it doesn't explain otherwise uh, I guess the dogs have a sixth sense and so as long as no external reason to see why they are mourning or playing um, it means that they are sensing something to come. So these two students, Rav Ameh Rav Aseh, are sitting before they, their teacher, Rabbi Yitzhak Napacha. One of the students says, "We want to, we want to learn. I want to learn some halacha." But the other student says, "No, I want to learn agada. I'm in the mood for that." So the teacher started saying some agada, but the other student who wanted halacha says, "No, I don't want to learn agada. I want to do some serious stuff here." Uh, so he started teaching halacha, and the other one says, "No, I can't concentrate on halacha right now. I want to feel inspired. I want to learn some agada." So Rabbi Nisak Pacha said, "What am I going to do? I'll give you a parable. A person, let's say, has two wives. One is an older uh, woman, and one is a young woman. The younger wife is pulling out the white hair, hairs of her husband, so that." 
He will look younger, more like her age. And the older wife is pulling out his black hairs so that he will look older, more like her age. And what happens in the end? He ends up being bald because the one's pulling out the white, one's pulling out the black, which is a pretty funny story. Um, happens to be that this uh, mashal is found in Aesop's fables as well. Aesop's fables are uh, centuries older than the Talmud, and you have the exact same fable uh, there. So uh, that means, it means that uh, not that Yitzhak Napachav himself was reading Aesop's fables, but rather that this was a famous fable, a uh, famous story like nursery rhymes today. You don't have to go read it inside. Everybody just knows them from popular culture. So this was a popular thing, and Yitzhak uh, Napachav quoted it because it was relevant to the two students that each one, if he wanted to say halacha, this one wouldn't let him, that that one wouldn't let him, and now he's bald, he has nothing to teach. But he has a solution. I can teach you something that will be good for both of you because it combines both halacha and agada. And it relates to our pasuk. First, the pasuk says, if a fire goes out, and and catches in thorns. So this uh, indicates that it goes out by itself. The person, the owner, might be negligent, but the fire spreads on its own. But then the pasuk goes on and says, "Yeshalem hamavir, the one who kindled it shall compensate." Which sounds like it's a direct burning, taking the fire and directly burning. Um, so uh, right, there's two halves of the pasuk indicate two different types of uh, action. So HaKadosh Baruch said, I am responsible uh, for the, uh, to pay for the fire that I kindled, um, meaning the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash and of Jerusalem. Ani hesiti esh b'siyon, shenemar v'yaset esh b'siyon v'tochal yesodoteha. I'm the one that, um, as, uh, I'm, I'm responsible for kindling the fire that destroyed Sion, as Pasuk says, in Echa, Hashem kindled the fire in Sion, devoured its foundations. Now really, it kind of happened on its own, right? Um, the enemies came and they burnt it down. So that's the beginning of the first half of the Pasuk, when it happens. Uh, but ultimately, even though they are the immediate cause of it happening, and Hashem just let it happen, nevertheless, Hashem is responsible. So just like if a person uh, allows fire to go and spread, and his negligence doesn't stop it, it's considered the same as if, he does it himself, and he's liable. He does it directly. So too, when Hashem allowed, he only, even though Hashem only allowed the Bet Hamikdash to be destroyed, um, but by not doing anything about it and allowing it to be destroyed, it's the same as Hashem de, uh, destroying it directly. And therefore, Hashem says, "I take responsibility, and I am going to repay." Beautiful pasuk in Zechariah. Says, I will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be a glory in the midst. We need a physical wall. I will be personally protected, Yerushalayim, in the future. And so that was a beautiful agadah, but we also learn the halacha from it that the pasuk starts talking about damage caused by property, meaning like um, uh, the fire is my property. It's not me myself, but it's something that I own. And that went out by itself, just like a, an ox that I own is my property and it goes out and causes damage, um, so to fire. And the Pasuk concludes talking about 
um, something that I do directly, right? The one who kindled the fire, right? Meaning I bring the fire right up and I burn something and it's equating them to say that fire is the, the liability of fire is the same as that of arrows even though an arrow i'm i'm shooting it far away so i'm not touching the item that i'm uh, that i'm uh, uh damaging nevertheless it comes directly from my force right it's my force that pulls the bow shoots the arrow and then even though it goes far away it's still called a direct action from my force so to fire even though i i didn't uh, light it directly but i let it spread um, that's considered the same. So we have here something that is both an halacha and an agada. This is we already saw a few times in the Masechet the way um, uh, these, uh, the uh, the uh, Talmud uh, takes pesukim regarding damages that just sound like they're talking about damages and applies them um, uh, agadically to talk about the uh, punishment of B'nai Israel um, and uh, the, the destruction of enemies um, and uh, liability and so on and here Hashem himself taking responsibility and there therefore um, promising to eventually recompense and repay and bring things back to the way they were. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen v'amen.